Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us live for a session sometime, you can join our weekly Control the Room Facilitation Lab. It's a free event to meet fellow facilitators and explore new techniques, so you can apply the things you learn in the podcast in real time with other facilitators. Sign up today at voltagecontrol.com facilitation lab. If you'd like to learn more about my new book, Magical Meetings, you can download the Magical Meetings Quick Start Guide, a free PDF reference with some of the most important pieces of advice from the book. Download a copy today at voltagecontrol.com slash magical dash meetings dash quick dash guide. Today, I'm with Darren Chait, the co-founder and CEO of Hugo. Hugo improves meeting productivity for teams. It connects to your calendar, centralizes notes and tasks, and integrates with critical work apps. He is also the co-author of 10X Culture. Welcome to the show, Darren. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Let's start off with how you got your start in creating productivity software for meetings. Yeah, sure. So I'm actually originally Australian, as you can hear, but lived in in the Bay Area, San Francisco for about five years. But my background is a corporate attorney. Don't don't hate me for it. I uh, spent the first sort of four years of my professional life uh, working in corporate law. And what that means in my eyes is I was essentially a professional meeting attendee. Um, and the worst thing about being a lawyer or at least in being in professional services is when you have those really inefficient, wasteful meetings, you can actually see the cost of it in dollar terms because you charge clients for it. And I remember walking out of some of these meetings where they would have you know six or seven of us for many hours and you'd, you'd, nothing was really agreed, nothing was really moved forward and you'd see the bill in the thousands and thousands of dollars. And that blew my mind. And at the same time, there was a lot changing about the way we worked in the modern workplace, but meetings hadn't had any innovation. We were still meeting the same way. Everyone had to be there on the call or in the room. And if you weren't in the room, you got no value. And as soon as the meeting ended, most of the value dissipated. So and I, I would regularly complain to my co-founder, Josh, who was a really good friend at the time. And he would share similar sort of experiences from his world as a product manager in San Francisco. And we decided this is a problem we've got to solve. That was the real impetus for us to start Hugo. And what year did you found the company? So we founded the company in the US in 2016. Okay, so been at it for a little while. We have. In fact, we were talking earlier about over the course of five years, a lot changing in the landscape. So where you start looking at, you know, this pain around meetings, and then you start to work and build stuff for clients and realize that there have these other needs and then the landscape changes. So curious to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's, it's quite funny when you think back five years, which isn't that long in our lifetimes at all, obviously, the way we work looks so different. I mean, from a software standpoint, Slack wasn't prolific five years ago. 
most people hadn't really heard of Slack. And now, can you imagine running a tech company in particular without Slack? So there's the enablement side of things that's very different. But even the in, the environment, remote work, even just a few years ago, was very much a trend that a few tech companies were starting to adopt that was really new age and really out there. And now, of course, in the world where we're living, it's the norm. And uh, many, many other trends like that look quite different. So this meeting problem was certainly there. But the environment in which we were building a solution for was really different today to what it was even as recently as 2016. Yeah, you know, it makes me think about something that that comes up so often, which is our clients will come to us and they'll ask us if we can train them on virtual meetings. And I tell them, well, yes, we can. But let me start by telling you that you probably need meeting training, first and foremost, because No matter if you're in-person or virtual, if you're doing things wrong, it's going to be problematic. And probably that you were just very accustomed to your inefficiencies when you were in the office. And now that things are different, you're noticing them more. That's right. It's exacerbated the, the, the bad bits of your meetings, which you know, were, were frustrating then, now making them you know, un, intolerable, intolerable. And uh, I'll go one step further, which is in our experience, the companies that have wasteful meetings where they've got that really poor meeting culture, unfortunately, often have a really poor team culture as well. It speaks for the way the business operates. So it's not just, uh, you know, if you're having these frustrations with meetings and and they are really that wasteful and and such a problem, I also ask the question, what other processes in your your company are are a victim of that? Yeah, you know, that even speaks to this notion that, you know, culture isn't these values or you know, things that you hang on the wall yeah. that everyone gets excited about or, you know, these these ways we hang out or celebrate, but it's how we show up. You know, it's how we show up for our clients. It's how we show up for our employees. And so that gets at what you're talking about around this operational or structural issues that are going to manifest themselves in the meetings. Yeah, you remind me, I was at a conference last year before pre-COVID, I guess, and uh, I this this lady came up to me at a conference booth and said, oh, great, I just read the, your book, 10X Culture, and um, it's fantastic timing because we're about to redo our culture. And I had a little chuckle to myself like she was about to paint her living room, like you can just transform a company culture overnight. But as we as we both know, and, and I strongly believe to be the case, Culture is really just the the sum or the aggregate of of the the people in the organization. You can't change your culture without changing all your people or the way they they operate, the way they show up, as as, as you said. So I think of that all the time when when people talk about what culture really is. Yeah, it's just like, let's just forklift this out and drop something (laughs) Drop a new one in, exactly, (laughs) if only. Man, you know, I think the, the epiphany for me was when I realized how much influence structure has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I totally agree. The way the way everyone interacts with each other, reporting lines, autonomy, decision making, all of that's yeah, nicely wrapped up in your structure. And and I, I think yeah, that probably has the biggest impact on culture. Totally agree. It's like who reports to who, right? It can stifle innovation, yeah. stifle communication, can create silos and eddy currents that aren't helpful. Exactly. Exactly. So we talked a little bit in the pre-show chat around this notion of return to work and what it is, what it isn't. And you kind of hinted at the fact that you had a perhaps unconventional thinking in regards to return to work. So I'd love for you to share that. Yeah, absolutely. If there's, if there's such a thing. We, we, you know, when I look back over the last 18 months or so, or a little 20 months since you know, we've 
we've COVID first reared its ugly head to where we are today. We've really gone through stages. I don't know about you, but as I've been talking to customers and partners and, and others in the market, we've seen that sort of early like, okay, this is going to be a little blip of man, this is a big deal as far as our team and how we work. We're really going to have to make some arrangements to get through this to this is it. This is life. This is the new normal. Better suck it up and move on to, well, the world's starting to open up. What worked really well over the last year and a half? What do we want to now you know, change and fix? And, as, and return to work is in that last category. You've got the laggards and the you know more conventional businesses who never would in a million years dream of allowing their employees to work from home, who have now seen the value, the cost saving, the impact on engagement, hiring, or you know, everything that we know as you know remote teams. And then you've got the modern tech companies that were really on board with remote, but now they're seeing the pros and cons and want to try and achieve some sort of perhaps hybrid or, or not, or a completely remote model moving forward. So it's a really interesting time. Everyone's sort of hitting it from different angles based on their experience. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where the pendulum lands from, you know, uh, from the two extremes. Yeah, I completely agree that the best approach is to look at what's worked and what didn't work and what's the, what do we appreciate about being the person? What do we appreciate about working remotely and how can we now with these new affordances lean into the the next phase right it's not that oh let's just go back to the way things were because i think that's long past (laughs) exactly And and i think for us like when i think about when i think about remote the companies that struggled the most in in my experience are those that ported their office arrangements online So we'll talk about meetings in a moment, but everything else, the same reporting, the same processes, the same, you know, levels of accountability from exactly what happened in the office to the online world. That's, they're the ones that struggled. Those that stopped and said, okay, we now have a different workforce. We now have a team that works in a different way. What processes do we need to be able to achieve that? They're the ones that were most successful. So as we return to work, it's the same thought. What, uh, you know, in this new world, what should we be doing that's likely to have the most success rather than, you know, how can we compensate for everything that we had in the office with this new arrangement? Yeah, it's interesting that you point that out. I remember distinctly being in those early moments for us in the U.S., which was early 2020. You know, we're talking like early March 2020 and things are starting to happen. I think you even mentioned that, you know, there was this period where we were like, oh, it's just a few weeks and it'll be over. Yeah. And, and then slowly people were realizing like, oh man, this is a big deal. And you're right. There was a camp of people that just said, how do we just throw this online versus looking at the tool mm-hmm. and saying, all right, this is the tool that I'm using. What does it allow me to do? And how do I design given the constraints of the tool? And I even wrote about this and, you know, got published around really encouraging people to think about designing given the constraints versus trying to just say, hey, I want to forklift this in and jam it into this like yeah. the system that maybe wasn't designed to work in the way that we were working previously. Yeah, it's so funny as well. Um, I think about that moment, you know, it's, we've all got those moments in our life where we realize the impact of COVID and what it meant. And no doubt we'll remember that for a long time. But for me, I, I sat down with my co-founder and remember we're, we're in the meeting technology space, right? Hugo is a meeting productivity hub for teams. So we, we, we really started thinking, hang on, like, what does this mean for our business? And I was genuinely concerned because 
here we are, the world's shutting down, no more in-person meetings, business pipelines, uh, uh, sales pipelines are drying up, people are, you know, fiscally con- concerned and not spending money, So, and, uh, you know, 50% of the meetings we power are customer meetings or external meetings. So I'm thinking, we're thinking, we were thinking at the time that we're in trouble, like pe- if people aren't meeting, how can we build a successful business selling software that helps people meet better. And within days, as we're sort of watching the dashboards and ready for the meeting volumes to drop off a cliff, the opposite happened. It literally spiked right up. And that made no sense to us. Like, How are we meeting more in a world where we can't do these things? And as we started to understand more about the data, and I actually wrote an article um, for Courts on this, we saw that people were taking what were normal in-person interactions and turning them into meetings. The, hey, Douglas, across the office, or Jeff Five, I would love to see what you think about this, was now 30 minutes on, on everyone's calendars. We saw meetings with sync and update and sharing and check-in and those sorts of words flying through the roof because we couldn't have those normal interactions where I'd quickly give you a call or, or, or turn my chair around or catch you on the co- getting a coffee. And that really, I think, you know, made meeting health or meeting hygiene take a huge dive as, as COVID hit. And uh, over time, that slowly recovered. I think people have, you know, the, with Zoom fatigue is now a, a normal word, unfortunately, in everyone's vocabulary. But the pain of too many meetings really hurt, and that led to a course correction. But in the early days, the picking up the office environment and transplanting it online or from home really hurt a lot of businesses. Yeah, that's interesting. That that specific story you just gave reminds me of an article that just came out in Nature magazine, and there was some research that was done around hybrid and remote work, and they were talking about the impacts of this kind of continuous cycle of meetings and the cost of the context switching, and they said there was a trend of shorter meetings. So typically. You know, in person, we'd have hour-long meetings, but now people are tending to have 30-minute meetings, but yeah. more of them. And I was wondering if that was a trend that you had noticed in, in your software as well. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And that's that they're worse, right? The cost of two 30-minute meetings is a lot greater than the cost of one one-hour meeting. And the irony of it all is based on the state of software tools and, uh, and, the, and technology that's available to us, we're at a point where meetings can be reduced more than they ever have before. We don't need meetings for that update, quick sync, and uh, and sharing information like we may have a generation ago or even five or 10 years ago. But the irony is we're seeing the inverse trend, the volume of meetings arising over time. Yeah, you know, it's really fascinating that there's this trend to have shorter meetings because I'd much rather have less meetings but have time to have longer, more intentional, more deeper uh, meaningful meetings where we're, you know, building prototypes together and we're like kind of getting deep into it and actually inspiring each other. Yeah. Well, the switching cost is fixed, right? The rat, the sort of wind down before the meeting and winding back up after a meeting, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour is much the same. So much more efficient to spend more time together and then having more time to get your work done. Yeah. 100%. You know, it's like, I also saw some research recently that where they spoke to this notion that remote meetings are inherently less collaborative, which I was like, thought was a really like weird finding. But then I started thinking about this more deeply. And I think that's going to be highly dependent on, you know what, Darren, I was like, I read that. And I thought to myself, at first, I was like, this doesn't add up. But then I realized that I'm, I'm biased because the teams that I work with, we're doing highly intentional meetings. Yeah. And they're highly collaborative. 
right? So the research is on broad market. Who knows what tools they're using in these yeah. meetings and how they're being conducted. And so I think to me, what that said is there's still a giant market of folks that haven't adopted tools that allow them to really collaborate on complex things that require sense making. So, you know, whether you need to visualize or, or align on understanding. And so Anyway, I, I read that at first and was like, this can't be true. But then I realized, wow, it's just that there's this massive opening. So I'd love to hear your thoughts or understanding on that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, that is really interesting. I do find that surprising in some ways. But again, yeah, from our world, it's a bit different. I, I think it's also got to be looked at through the lens of meeting volume. If I'm back-to-back all day in tons of 30-minute syncs and updates and catch-ups and, you know, like what we've all, well, not, not us, luckily, but many experienced early on in the pandemic, I'm going to be a lot less willing to collaborate or I, I'm going to, you know, try and just get through my meetings because that's what I need to do for the day. Whereas, yeah, if you're having these super valuable meetings that all of which involve debate, discussion, decision-making, they're for a real purpose, the level of collaboration would naturally go up. So I wonder if that reduction in collaboration is tied to the increase in volume. Yeah, that's interesting. Man, we're crafting a few hypotheses here that could <laughs> could be interesting follow-on study, yeah. right? It's like, hey, can we actually do some research to see what is the truth here? Like, sure, there's a finding, but what is the underlying insights? Because rather than just saying, okay, we got to bring all the meetings in person, what's really driving those tendencies to be less collaborative? And I tend to agree with you. I think we're both on to some reasons why that might be the case. Totally. Either way, it's... um. I hate saying the new normal, but in this world, it needs to be thought about very intentionally. And the, as I mentioned earlier, the businesses that have done that, I think are the ones that have been most successful with this remote or hybrid or, or you know whatever arrangements in place now, uh, rather than just replacing, switching out your conference room for Zoom. We were also talking about asynchronicity versus synchronicity. Yeah. And, you know, it's fascinating to me, the meme that goes around a ton, which is like this meeting could have been an email. <laughs> and certainly there's some folks knee-jerking to more asynchronous work. But I see people struggle with that too. And so I'm curious if that's something that you've noticed with your users or colleagues. Is It's almost like these meetings are sacred cows or something. You know, they, <laughs> they can't let go of this all hands or whatever it is when it clearly is not, you know, decisive, explorative or any of these things that really value or really kind of depend on people being together. Yeah, it's one of my favorite topics. Um, and it's something close to my heart. I uh, when, when COVID hit, I found myself back in Australia with a 17-hour time difference to my team in the US. And uh, all of a sudden, I was waking up really early. I've got a young, uh, at the time, baby and trying to balance life and things that way. And I obviously didn't want any collaboration to take a hit. And as uh, that's just one example. Um, another example, our CTO, he he's, he's the kind of guy where he's most productive from 11 a.m. to midnight every day. Ask him anything first thing in the morning and it's, he's, he's there because he has to be there because in the old world, it's a strange thing to rock up a wo- to work at 11 a.m. Or if you're there every night at 10 p.m., everyone thinks you're you know, a little bit crazy and something else going on at home. And as we started to see this, it really made us ask the question of, well, why are we making people fit our mold? If you're most productive or most effective or you can balance things in a certain way, or if we can recruit the best people on different time zones, why can't we make it work that way? So jumping on this trend, and it's something that Hugo supports extensively, but another great tool that we use all the time is one called Loom, where we can send videos instead of 
that quick call or that quick meeting. I have an idea. I have some feedback. I have a few thoughts. I'd love to bounce something off you. All of these are great use cases for me sending you a quick video and saying, hey, Douglas, check this out. Share my screen. See my camera. Talk you through what I'm thinking. Send that over to you and you can look at that in right away or in 20 hours whenever's most convenient for you. And the thing is, nothing's lost, right? It's still the same high bandwidth. You can hear my my, my, the tone of my voice, my funny accent, you can see my face, how excited I am, how concerned I am, everything that we get in, in a normal meeting, but on our respective schedules without me saying, drop what you're doing, stop, break your flow, come jump on a call because that's what the calendar says you should do. So the move to async is absolutely enabled by remote, but I also think it's, it's, it's enabled by the, the, global, you know, the globalizing world that we're living in where the best people may be somewhere else, maybe balancing family, maybe just not productive at the time you are. And uh, the mix of async and sync, I think, is what makes teams very successful. 100%. Huge fan of Loom and always encourage folks to use it. It's a game changer. Even to send small little instructions to folks, you know, it's so much nicer than a, a giant wall of text email. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I drew this at a talk I gave once this pyramid of band. I called it like bandwidth of communication, where we, over time and generationally, we're moving to communicate in less and less bandwidth ways. So, what used to be us shaking hands face to face, having a conversation, is now often a text message, a few words, an emoji, right? On the other extreme. And so much is lost. The difference between us having that conversation, building rapport, shooting the breeze, bouncing ideas off each other through to that emoji thumbs up is is infinitely different. So how in the remote world that we're all operating in now can we maximize bandwidth? And I think video is a very effective way to to do that. 100%. And I also love that you can comment on it. So you've got kind of in situ, like it's not real time where, you know, you're in the meeting and people can ask questions and whatnot. But, you know, oftentimes to have the meeting, you're going to have to schedule it three days from now. Or like you say, interrupt someone's flow. So if I can send this over and get a question back, you know, an hour or four hours later, the net net's always better in my experience. Yeah, exactly right. hundred percent. And people are happier, right? Like I've, uh, you know, young kids and whatever else I've working as hard as I ever have before, but life is more balanced because I'm doing things when I'm most productive and when it makes the most sense. Not because my Google calendar said at 6 PM, I have to jump on this quick call. You know, that reminds me too. I've used it as well for motivational type moments or like just messages mm-hmm. to the team. And I don't know, like if you're like me, but you know, sometimes going into the all hands, it's like, takes a moment to get my game face on yeah and to be able to record it when you're like feeling inspired even when it's not anticipated you know you Mm -hmm. just might have gotten some good news from a partner and you just record a quick video and send it out and then it's a glorious thing yeah exactly right it's when when you're going to do the best job not when the the calendar dictates (laughs) that's right i love it so we also talked a little bit in the pre-show about this notion of the role of meetings. And you mentioned debate, discussion, and decision-making, which is kind of echoes some of our functions that we identified in, in magical meetings. I love the alliteration. That's pretty awesome. Often, I think that can help people think about if something should be async, right? If they're not actually leaning in on one of these benefits, if you will, then it's questionable why we want to have everyone synchronously together eating up tons of revenue and, you know, lost opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I 
hundred percent agree with that. Um, definitely, that that's that's the that's that's the problem. I think what you're describing is is the challenge for 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 this new way of thinking. And so, what advice do you have for folks that are like, you know, okay, yeah, I get it, I hear it, but I'm having a hard time letting go, or maybe my boss is having a hard time letting go of this meeting, and clearly we get in there and it's just like we're being presented to. Yeah, yeah. I, I think ultimately it's like any process, uh, adopting any new way of doing things in a modern organization, showing rather than telling um, or doing rather than telling is, is the right way to go about it. It can be a steep learning curve, a steep adoption curve to go to your boss and say, hey, I don't think we should be using meetings like this anymore. Some organizations you can get away with and that's fantastic. But what I recommend is the grassroots approach. Try different things for your reports. If you have reports for your meetings that you're running, try the loom instead. Try other ways of collaborating asynchronously. Try not going to the meeting and asking for the notes to be shared with you, which is obviously something that we, we enable at Hugo. And these processes typically show the value of this way of working. And once you see the light, you can't go back. When they, you've got that time back in your calendar, when everyone else in the organization feels like their time's being more respected and their meetings are more successful and more effective, that's it. It's sold. So that, that's, the, that's the way that we've seen it be most successful. Yeah, it reminds me of this idea of, you know, the internal case study. It's like, it's easy to read about it in a business book, but actually creating some value in the organization and being able to point to that. See what we were able to do over here? And you're kind of speaking to that. So I love that because so often people will say, well, that won't work here. Yeah, it's the same with adopting software. Right? Gone are the days where the executive says, everyone, this is now the process and now the tools. As you know, uh, most tools now get adopted by people just using them. And before you know it, they're just prolific in the organization. And ultimately, the executive doesn't really have a choice anymore. It's been adopted by the organization bottoms up. And the same goes for changes in process, in my view. Mm. Also, another thing that jumped out to me was this notion of like, try not showing up <laughs> and, and just getting the notes or the recording later. And exactly. I think that's pretty incredible. And we have a policy at Voltage Control that all meetings are optional. And mm-hmm. so we have etiquette around that. You know, if someone invites you to a meeting, make sure you politely decline and explain why you don't think you're needed. Because that will help people understand if their purpose is not well articulated. Because if they start telling you why they shouldn't be there and, you know, you're like, wait a second, like, I think you need to be there for these reasons. I didn't, that means I didn't communicate those reasons well enough up front. Exactly. Exactly. And you do that a couple of times and, and you realize that firstly, the meeting still goes ahead and is successful and nothing bad happens with you missing out and getting the information afterwards. Or that that meeting, perhaps exactly to your point, should have had a different or better articulated purpose or didn't even need to exist. Yeah. And if you don't experiment, then you don't learn. And I think everyone's, for the most part, are in a almost like a robotic, like, okay, what does my calendar say? I go do that thing. There's, I don't think there's enough questioning around the value. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well said. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things to do with folks when I'm coaching them is like, you know, we're doing a calendar review and looking at their meetings and, and they're like, I'm like asking them like, well, well this, this one seems a little suspect. Why have this meeting? I was like, oh, well, you know, and they start defending it, you know. And then they start so asking. We've always done that. You know, We've been doing that one yeah, for years. Yeah. That, that's my yeah, favorite. Exactly. <laughs> and then you kind of get into, okay, what's the purpose of this meeting? Why do we need to have it? Okay. It sounds like a status update. Well, yeah, but da 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 They might say something like, you ultimately get down to like, well, I really want to react and 
respond to the group and how they're receiving it and this, this and that. I'm like, well, I don't see anything in your plan or your agenda that, that is supporting that happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And then there, that's the big epiphany, you know, <laughs> it's like, if you want that to happen, if that's something you like aspire to, then let's, let's work on designing for that rather than just hoping it'll happen. And then, and then just like having your head in the sand, then it's like a waste of time. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I totally agree. I still, to this day, with our business, we have an internal rule where we cap the number of internal meetings at 10% of your work week. So that, that it's especially when people join the organization, it's a sort of fast way to get that down and create that that discipline around not just booking meetings um, as you as you think of things. And uh, that for us is an easy way to, to keep that in check because it can run away from you very fast. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love that. I wonder, how are you tracking to make sure you're upholding this 10% guideline? We, we're in the calendar business with, with Hugo, so we have analytics on that. We can get regular reporting on how much time everyone's spending in internal meetings, and uh, we that allows us to keep tabs as that starts to, starts to slip. And then it's not about just enforcing and saying, hey, Douglas, last week you spent 20% and the week before was 25. What's going on? It's us trying to understand what's failing. Because often that's the that's the writing on the wall that there's some other process or forum for collaboration that's required. Mm, love that, love that. You know, it reminds me of Peter Drucker's calendar review, and um, it's such a powerful tool for coaching and mentoring. Inevitably, when I'm working with small startups or or just anyone who comes to me and says I'm de- in desperate need of hiring a new marketing person, or you know, I need a uh, an embedded systems software developer and like it's, they're just super hard to find. We can't find them. Da, da, da. I'll ask them, well, how important is this for your business? And it's like, it's the most important thing. And I was like, all right, well, let's take a look at your calendar and let's say, how much time yeah, are, much you, time spending are you spending on it? Right. And they're like, inevitably it's like a fraction of their time. And it's, a, that's a big eye opener. So I love anytime people visualize the way they're spending their time, especially when it's, it revolves around meetings because they get so costly when you're talking about, you know, having five, 10 people in there. It's the new palm reading. You can tell a lot about a person by looking at their <laughs> calendar. That's right. So good. Excellent. Well, you know, we're kind of coming up on time here and I, I want to just acknowledge the fact that you and I could probably just sit here and talk about meetings uh, for a long time, <laughs> but you know, we, we have uh, we have limited time, so want to just give you an opportunity to leave our listeners with a final thought. What, what should they keep in mind? What should they know? Yeah, I think one of the one of the biggest lessons that we've learned building a team, and we started our conversation talking very heavily about culture, is the way you best use great people. You spend so much time and money hiring people around you, and the the biggest mistake we made in our early days was directing instead of supporting those people. There's a great book I recommend reading. Um, it's called Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. And he's got this concept of eyes on, hands off. And that's probably the simplest but most effective team advice that I've ever received, where you know what your team's up to, you're there to support them, but you certainly have your hands out of the pie. You're, t- you're letting them run with, uh, run with things. And as soon as we started to adopt that as a culture and as a way of working, our organization, our, our team really turned a corner. I love that you brought that book up and thank you for encouraging listeners to read it. There's an anecdote from there that I love, which is about leadership being like a gardener and you can't make the plants grow. You can just create the conditions (laughs) for them to grow. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Yeah, I would definitely highly recommend it. Put it high on the list for anyone that's uh, growing or developing a team. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Well, if folks want to learn more about Hugo, where should they go? Yeah. Um, have a look at our website, hugo.team. So H-U-G-O dot T-E-A-M. Um, and uh, you can sign up free, have a look uh, as a very effective way to run better, more efficient meetings with, with your team. Or check out our Twitter, which is at Hugo Product. We're sharing tons of, of content like this as we stumble across it every day. Excellent. Nice. Well, you know, Darren, it's been a pleasure chatting with you about meetings and excited that you guys are building this awesome tool and best of luck to you and the team. Likewise. Thank you so much, Douglas. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com